Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Please take out your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 18 through 22 this morning. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Amen. You may be seated. Let's... Go to our Lord once again in prayer. Oh, Father, as we come to your word this morning, we are aware of our great need to have you open up our eyes and to see the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, O Lord, that you would grant us this grace that when we hear his call, we would follow and obey even as these two sets of brothers did so many years ago. Lord, we pray that you would grant us the grace to live lives that are worthy of your gospel. That you would grant us the grace to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, even to death if it be your will, that your name might be honored and praised. We pray that you would sanctify us through the preaching of your word. Grant us ears to hear that we might be brought along in grace, and so led uh, to your Son, Jesus. We pray all this in the name of your Son. Amen. Is obedience necessary for the Christian life? That's a question that is, is often, is often uh, debated. It's a question that's often uh, debated in uh, this day and age. Some will argue that obedience is not absolutely necessary because, after all, salvation is by grace. If it was by uh, obedience, then it would no longer be uh, by grace. And, of course, we would say that salvation is by grace and not by works. When we think of salvation in terms of God declaring us righteous, we are not declared righteous by our works. And yet... That does not mean that obedience is not necessary. In fact, obedience is necessary. And obedience is not opposed to grace in in any way. In fact, once we receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are then enabled to obey him with all of our hearts. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 6, which is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. He, towards the end in the conclusion, says, Why do you call me Lord? And not do what I say. Why do you affirm that I am your Lord as a Christian and yet then disobey the things that I have told you to do? 
But think about what the Lord says in Matthew's version of the Sermon on the Mount towards the end. Not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. There is an obedience that is necessary, not in order to earn God's favor, but nevertheless, those who have received it must obey. And here we have the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ, a call which is put on all the lives of all those who will ever follow him. And it is a call that must be obeyed, even as the disciples obeyed it in the beginning. So here we have Matthew's record of the call of the first disciples. Now remember in the context where we've what we've been looking at. Matthew chapters 1 through 4 is really an introduction to the gospel of Matthew. And last week we looked at the beginning of the introduction to the ministry of Christ. And the first thing that Matthew records about the Lord Jesus Christ is that he came preaching. This is really the most important thing that he came to do. But in summarizing what the Lord Jesus Christ does, we recognize that he does not just preach. There are other things that he does. And one of the things that he does is he calls disciples to himself that they might carry on the work that he has come into the world to do. And here we see then this calling of the first disciples recorded. And it provides instruction for us as well, as even though not all of us are called to be fishers of men in the same way, that these two sets of brothers were, yet Christ's call must be obeyed with all the heart. This is what we see. This is what, what the disciples did when they heard the call of Christ. And this is what is uh, instructive for us as well. Christ's call must be obeyed with the whole heart. Now we'll look at this text under four headings this morning. First, we'll consider who are those that are called. Then we'll consider who is the one doing the calling, and then what is the call, and then finally, how is the call responded to? So just looking at the different aspects of what it means to be called and what's going on here in this text, again, who are called, who's the one doing the calling, what is the call, and how are we to respond to it? So look with me first at those who are called. Notice again, there are these two sets of brothers. There's Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, the first set. Then after that, there are the two sons of Zebedee, who are James and John. The, the, really, the only thing that's highlighted about these two sets of brothers in the text, in terms of who they are, is that they were fishermen. They were those who had that particular profession. They were, both sets of brothers were fishermen. And even while the Lord Jesus Christ is calling them, he calls them while they are, in some sense, carrying out um, their, their profession. They are fishing or mending the nets, doing things related to uh, their particular work. Now, fishermen in this day, as probably in, in most ages, would have been uh, people who were not considered to be impressive. It's not a, a profession that was uh, esteemed and honored in that day. In addition... It would have meant that these men were not learned. They did not have a great education. They also likely had very little resources. They were not wealthy. In every conceivable way, they were those who were very humble. Now, if you were going to start a movement and a new religion, so to speak, I mean, it is a continuation of 
of uh, the religion that was proclaimed even in Moses. But nevertheless, there is going to be this difference where now this Messiah is going to have the gospel proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Would you choose men such as this to be your first disciples, those who are going to carry on your work after you? Or even think about it maybe um, a bit more in our own context. If you were starting a church and you were to begin with four particular people, would you choose those four people to be those who have no money, who are not educated, and who have a profession that no one respects? Is this what you would do? It's very interesting that these are those whom the Lord Jesus Christ chooses to be his very first disciples, those who would follow him and carry on his work of ministry. Now, why would he do that? Why would he choose men like this? Why is it that in the scriptures, it's not even just here, but very often in the scriptures, God uses those who are very weak and humble, who have nothing to commend themselves to. Why is it that God does this? Well, it's very clearly to show God's power, that all the glory goes to him. That when you see men like this preaching the gospel after Christ has been resurrected and ascended to the right hand of his Father in heaven, that all the world would marvel and say, how is it that these men have such wisdom? How is it that these are the men that they appear to have no learning and yet all are following them because of the teaching that they provide. This is exactly what ends up happening in Acts chapter 4 when James and John are arrested and they are brought before the Sanhedrin and all of them marvel. How is it that these men who have no learning, how is it that, that they're able to do such things? And it says that they recognize that they had been with Jesus. That's the only thing that set them apart from other people. They were those who had been with Jesus. All the glory would go to God. There was no way in which anyone could say that it was deserving of men. And this is very often the way God works in the church. Remember what Paul wrote to, first, to the Corinthians in his first letter to them, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were of noble birth. Many of you were, were you know, despised, rejected, humble. But it says there that God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise because the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. This is why God uses these things. Or think of what James says in James chapter 1, where he encourages the rich, he exhorts the rich not to boast in their riches, but rather in their poverty, because they, they are to recognize that their riches are fleeting. But yet the one who is poor, he is to rejoice in his exaltation, because God often chooses those who are poor in this world to yet be strong in faith. And that is the thing that will last to all eternity. And so this ought to be an encouragement to you. Can the Lord use you? Well, of course he can. Of course he can. He can use you if you are faithful to him. And if in carrying out the daily at your daily activities and going about in life, you, you, you live your life in such a way that you're not depending upon yourself or in any of the gifts that's been given to you, but you're depending upon God. Now, there would be a potential objection at this point as we look at these people who are called. Does that mean that when we're looking for officers in the church, does that mean we are not to look for those who are trained 
or those who have particular gifts. For after all, it doesn't appear that that these people were trained, and it doesn't appear that they have any outward gifts. Well, that's that's not the case. That's not what what uh, what um, Matthew is trying to point out here. We know that from Paul's own his instructions in First Timothy chapter three about um, the calling of of elders and deacons. There are particular gifts that each of these offices must must have. And so this is not an excuse for laziness that we're not to develop our gifts that God has given to us and say, well, God will use me when he uses someone who has no gifts and therefore I have no no obligation to to work hard, that sort of thing. But it is to recognize that God often does use those whom the world finds uh, unpersuasive, uh, ignoble, uh, those who are not uh, esteemed in any regard. So those are those are the people whom the Lord Jesus Christ calls. Now notice then who is the one calling. And it is of course the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that speaks the word to both of these sets of brothers. And when he speaks the word, they immediately obey. This one who is calling them is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the promised Messiah. And as such, when he offers his call, it is a call which is sovereign and authoritative, one that cannot be disregarded without an enormous amount of sin, a great sin against, against him as he has such authority. Now, when we think about who's doing the calling here, we, especially in Matthew's account, we have to ask, did the disciples understand who was calling them at this point? Sometimes when we read the account in Matthew, since it's so sparse in some regards, and there's no, there's no, there's nothing to this point about James and John knowing who the Lord Jesus Christ is, or or Simon and Andrew knowing who he is, we can get the the impression that there is this man walking by these two sets of fishermen, and he just says, "Come, follow me," and then they immediately obey, not really understanding what's going on. And that's really not the case. That's not what Matthew is trying to bring out when he is recording this narrative. Uh, a bit sparsely. it's He's doing it for different theological purposes than that, though there is a reason why he does it. We know that James and John and, and Simon and Andrew already knew who the Lord Jesus Christ was because of John chapter 1. Simon and Andrew and James and John were both disciples of John the Baptist. They received his ministry, which pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they appear to have even seen the Lord Jesus Christ's baptism. And they heard John the Baptist say that they are to follow this one. And even Andrew goes and finds Simon and says, we have found the Messiah. We have found the one that Moses and the prophets have spoken of. And so they clearly already knew who the Lord Jesus Christ was. They even believed in him as the Messiah. Here we have a call not so much to be converted, but to actually follow him all the days of their lives, to follow him in a special new capacity. And so it's not that they didn't know who the Lord Jesus Christ was. They understood that the one who is calling us to follow him is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And this is exactly how the call goes out in every age. This is how the call is put before you even this morning. What is the Lord Jesus Christ calling you to do? He is calling you to take up your cross and follow him. He's calling you to a life of faithfulness and obedience to him. He's calling you first and foremost to himself, that you would believe 
in him. And you are to know when the call goes forward that the one who calls you is the promised Christ. You're not asked to follow someone you don't know. You are asked to follow the one who has been proclaimed in the scriptures going all the way back to the days of Moses. And this call does, in fact, go out. How does the Lord Jesus Christ call people to himself today? How does that happen today? Well, he does it through the preaching of the word. When the Lord Jesus Christ puts, installs a man and calls a man to pastoral ministry, that person then stands in the place of Christ. And when he preaches the word of God, that word is Christ's word. And the calling that goes out to sinners is the call of the Lord Jesus Christ to, to, to come and obey, to repent and believe the gospel. And so this call, though in some ways a bit different from what happens today, is yet very is in a lot of ways very much like what happens today. And all of you ought to obey this call of the Lord Jesus Christ to repent of your sins, to believe in the gospel and to follow him. This is the one who calls. Now let's look a little bit more then, consider what it means to be called. What is the call that is happening uh, here, and what is a call in general? Now a call is when God speaks to a sinner and exhorts him to something. It is, it's, in the scriptures, it can be either uh, towards conversion, to some aspect of obedience in life, or even to office. All these things are things that the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to. And there are two senses of the calling of God in the scriptures. There is the external call and the internal call. Externally, God calls us through his word. The word goes out. You are called to believe and obey it. It comes from outside of you. It comes from a word which is preached or spoken from the Bible itself. Then there is also in the scriptures the internal call which is where God addresses you in your heart. Where the call does not just go out verbally, and then you have the option to obey, but whenever there is a call that is obeyed, there is not only that external aspect, but there is even God, the Holy Spirit, persuading your heart to obey him. And these two things are often linked. The word and the spirit work together. The call goes out externally, when the word is spoken, we see that here when the Lord Jesus Christ says, leave your nets, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's the external word. And yet when they immediately obey, we see evidence that God has in fact uh, persuaded them by the, the Holy Spirit and that he has, he has brought them to a place of, of obedience. And that is a sovereign act of God. And these two things go together. And one of the things that Matthew's doing by showing the brevity of the account, this account is also in Luke chapter 5, and it's, it's much more full. There's a lot more details that are added. But one of the things that is going on is Matthew wants to, to highlight the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very often in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus will speak a word, and immediately whatever he speaks happens. And here... Matthew is highlighting that even with sinners, the same thing happens. Such that here, the external and the internal call appear to be linked. 
Jesus Christ speaks the world word externally, but internally, whatever he speaks is going to happen. The heart of the sinner is immediately changed. There is immediately an, an act of grace that comes upon these two sets of brothers, and they are immediately inclined to believe. Whatever the Lord Jesus Christ says happens. And so there is here are these two aspects. There is an external call that goes out, and you are obligated to obey it. When you hear the word of God preached, there is an obligation for you to respond in obedience. But also, there is an internal sense in which you are to obey uh, the call of God. And this is something that comes from God himself. It's a gift from God. One of the uh, great early church fathers, Augustine, who lived in the 4th and 5th century, said something that made another um, ancient uh, churchman who really was uh, put out of the church, but um, made someone very angry um, when he said this. He said, command what you will and give what you command. It was a prayer that Augustine uh, offered up to God. He says, whatever you want me to do, I want to know what it is. Command, command whatever you will. Whatever is your will, let me know what it is. But then when you give me that command externally, also give me the grace to obey it because I know I'm weak, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need your grace to obey whatever it is you call me to do. So tell me what you want me to do, but then also grant me the grace to do it. And that is really what's going on here. Christ does not just give the word externally, but he causes these men to obey him by his great power as well. And so when you struggle with obeying the call of God, this is something that you can pray for as well, that God would give you the strength both to reveal to you what he would have you to do and then also the strength to obey. Now, what is the particular call that's given here? As I mentioned, this is not so much a call to conversion as they already knew who the Lord Jesus Christ was, but it's a call to ministry. There is a great difference. In John chapter 1, they discover who the Lord Jesus Christ is and they believe in him. So there's a sense in which they're, they're following Jesus is, is for themselves. They are believing for themselves. Here, when the Lord Jesus Christ calls these, these men to follow him, it's not so much for themselves, but for others. He doesn't call them to faith in him, but rather that he would make them fishers of men. They would, be, they would be those who would gather other men to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a, a figure then for the gospel ministry as the word of God was to be proclaimed throughout all the world and all the world was to come to him. And Christ appears to be alluding to Jeremiah 16, which we read earlier, where there is this prophecy that comes, that there was coming a day when there is a salvation that will be so much greater than what happened in the Exodus, which was the greatest thing that happened in all of the Old Testament. There's coming a day when there will be a salvation that is so much greater that the Exodus will no longer be remembered because of how great this new salvation would be. And in that day, God would gather people from the furthest corners of the world, both Jew and Gentile. Those, the Gentiles who did not know him, they will, will cast aside their gods and they will recognize the arm and the might of the Lord. And in that day, one of the things that will mark that day is that the Lord himself will send forth fishers who will fish for these men in the furthest corners of the world and, he, and hunters 
who would hunt them down and bring them in. There would be, through the instrumentality of other men called to this particular task, on this great day of salvation, when all these people are to be gathered in, there will be these other people who will also be doing this work. And by quoting this or alluding to it very strongly, the Lord Jesus Christ is indicating that this time is now here. The salvation that is greater than the Exodus has finally come, and I am gathering my fishermen. And how fitting it is then that he would choose men who are like this, that he would choose fishermen as they are, as they are going by, and he says, I will make you fishers of men. And this was then what they were called to do. They were called to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, that the ends of the earth might be gathered to them. This was the particular call that these men received. But what is it that the Lord Jesus Christ is calling you to this morning? Well, I've mentioned a few things already. There is, of course, faith. He calls you to believe in him, to repent of your sins, to follow him, to obey him in every aspect of your lives. And even beyond that, to use whatever gifts you have been given, whatever spiritual gifts you have been given, for the good of others, that others might be built up in grace. This is, the, this is really the only reason why God gives spiritual gifts to his people, that the church might be built up to the praise of his glorious grace. It's not that you might be honored. It is always for the sake of others. And so this is the call, the call that all of us must obey. Now, notice how the call is responded to. It's responded to with the whole heart. We see this from the immediacy of the response, which shows not only the the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, but even the simple obedience of the disciples. Now, I mentioned in Luke's gospel, this account is much, much longer. There's actually a miracle that happens where um, if you were to be in Peter's shoes in in Luke chapter 5, it's very clear what you would do. You would follow the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a miraculous catching of fish. They've been out all night. They have caught nothing. And they have apparently no prospect of catching anything that day. And they are just sitting around near their boats. And, and Christ says, go and let's tr- give it another shot. And they catch so much fish that their boat begins to sink. And they have to call over another boat, which happens to be the boat of the other brothers of Zebedee. So there's a, these two sets of brothers and they have to to together carry away um, this great catch. And it's in that context then that Peter falls down on his face and says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinner. And then Christ issues the call. Now, Matthew omits all of that. He omits all of that, uh, not because he's, he's trying to um, you know, omit something that actually happened, but because there's a particular purpose for the writing, for his particular writing. He's wanting to highlight something in particular, which is the absolute and immediate and whole heart obedience of those who receive this call. He wants there to be, um, the, the main thing that he wants to record is this, Christ issues the call, those who get the call obey. There is a call and there is an obedience that immediately comes. It's like parents with their children. If you have kids and you you give them some sort of command, what's the kind of, of obedience that you're looking for? Not a, well, I'll, I'll do it a bit later. Or, you know, mom, I really can't do that now. I'm, I'm, I'm busy. No, the obedience that you need from your kids is, 
yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. And then immediately, there is an obedience to what is being commanded. And that's the kind of obedience that Matthew is recording for the disciples and the kind of obedience that Christ himself is looking for. And this is what they do. They leave their nets, their profession. And with the sons of Zebedee, they even leave their father. They're willing to give up everything for the Lord Jesus Christ. There are no excuses which are made. And this is how the calling of God ought to be in our own lives. When God calls you to something, first and foremost to his son, there is a, an obedience that must be immediate. It must be total. It must be with the whole heart. The word goes out and then there is an obedience which is rendered. Now remember, there are others who were uh, called externally, even in Matthew's gospel, who did not give this sort of immediate, immediate obedience. There are those um, who in Matthew chapter 8, they're recorded, they come um, to Christ, and they say, I'll follow you anywhere. And he says, well, you know, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but I have no place to lay my head. If you're to obey me, you must recognize that it, it may mean that you will lose a great deal, even your homes. You may lose everything, and yet you're still called to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Or another person comes and says, I'll, I'll go, but, but let, first let me go bury my father. It's not to say that we, we shouldn't do that. We ought to honor the dead. It's something that, that is, happens all over the place in Scripture. But even then, something that we ought to do and is good to do ought never to take priority over following the Lord Jesus Christ. And the point of those uh, particular instances is this. When Christ calls you to obedience, there is only immediate obedience which you must give. That is the one thing that must happen. And, and there is no excuse which is acceptable in his sight. Let the dead bury their dead. Even if it means you lose everything, take up your cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You may know in the uh, Genevan times that we uh, look at every week, in the top right-hand, or I believe it's the top right-hand corner, one of the corners, there is a little Latin phrase that was one of Calvin's mottos. And it says, Cor meum tibi ofero domine, prompte et sincere. Cor meum tibi ofero domine, prompte et sincere. I offer you my heart, O Lord promptly and sincerely. That was the motto of Calvin. Here's my heart. I will give it to you immediately with no excuses. There will simply be obedience. And so this is the call of the first disciples. The famous calling that Matthew records in Matthew chapter 4. Christ has not come to be the one to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth himself. Part of what he is to do is came to do was to call others whom he would appoint to carry out this particular task. There is another uh, parable in Matthew's gospel which speaks of a calling. In Matthew chapter 22, there is a marriage which a king is giving for his son. It's, it's clearly a parable for the father setting a banquet for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are many who are called to attend. And all of those who are called begin making excuses. If you remember the passage, some people have just 
uh, come into some sort of field or a business uh, venture and they say, you know, I've just got this thing. I, I just acquired this, this animal. I, I simply must continue on in this thing. I need to be excused. Someone that was just married and says, you know, I just married my bride. I, I, have, to, I have to be with her. So I, I need to be excused from this, this wedding feast. And it says in the end of the parable that none of those, none of those who gave these kinds of excuses were admitted into the kingdom of heaven. None of them were admitted to the feast. And at the end, it says, many are called, but yet few are chosen. Are you sincerely following the Lord Jesus Christ today? Or do you make excuses? knowing that there are certain things in your life that you ought to be doing, certain things in your life that are not consistent with one who claims the name of Christ. And you think, well, I can just, I'll obey later. There's, there's this thing and I just need to take care of it first. You see, the heart of a Christian is one that says, here is my heart, Lord. I offer it to you promptly and sincerely. And there is a reward for doing so. When the rich young ruler was turned away, from the Lord Jesus Christ. All the disciples were shocked. And they were apparently very scared that the same thing would happen to them. And Peter says, says this at, at that point. He says, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? And Jesus says to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers, sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. This is the calling and what Christ offers. May he grant you the grace to obey it promptly and sincerely. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do thank you for the grace of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we're thankful that you do not only give us commands, but you even give us the grace to obey them. And Lord, we pray that you would be gracious and merciful to us here, that that all of us would obey the calling which has been placed on our lives, that we would count our labors in our lives to be first and foremost, to be given up as an offering to you for the glory of your name and the good of your church. Help us, O Lord, to participate in this ministry wherever it, is, wherever it is appropriate, that this church as a whole might be fishers of men, that your gospel might go to the ends of the earth, that even as was prophesied, that the exodus might be forgotten in light of the great salvation that has been worked in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it for his sake, and we pray in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit us at newcovopcssf.com. That's N-E-W-C-O-V-O-P-C-S-S-F.com. If you'd like to worship with us on Sunday, our service times are 10.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m.